0: Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you wait before the show, is you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast.
1: Hey everybody! Welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, today we got some special guests on. Uh, We're we'll talk a little conservation, talk a little hunting, a little fishing, a little wild food eating, as always. Uh, so really excited to kick this conversation off first off what i'll do share a bit of news with you so uh if you are tuned into the happenings of the world of harvesting nature albeit very small still very important to me uh we announced two two uh two mondays ago that um we are how hal- holding our first ever hunting camp and you may be wondering justin what in the world is that? Well, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go down to Texas. We're gonna invite anyone and everyone that wants to come. We've got about 16 slots uh, that we are looking to fill, and we are going to teach you to shoot. We're going to try to get out to about 500 yards worth of shooting with our shooting instructors. We're going to teach you to hunt. We're going to put you in the blind hunting for some wild pigs. We're going to teach you how to butcher, how to store your meat, how to get it ready for the freezer for the table. And then lastly, we're going to finish it off with some cooking. So here's the special thing. All those people that are going to be doing these things and teaching you these things are going to be people you're very familiar with. If you follow the show or you follow the website or social media, so I'll be there uh casey will be there he's our business manager uh ryan and or emily uh long from the way we hunt they'll be teaching the shooting portion they're both very uh qualified and awesome long-range shooting instructors uh you'll have adam Steele there adam's been on if you go back ooh, season two i think we had a whole episode about making sausages uh adam is a professional butcher and game processor so he'll be there teaching you that um And then our our lovely Canadian friend, uh, Adam Berkelmans, will be there teaching the cooking portion. So, and then, (coughs) excuse me, and then you'll get me mixed in all throughout uh, interrupting your moves as you're trying to learn and cracking funny dad jokes, because that's what I like to do. But uh, nonetheless, it's going to be a great weekend. We're going to do a Thursday arrival, Friday, Saturday, Sunday departure down in North Texas. So it's about an hour from Dallas Fort Worth International Airport. Easy in, easy out, great uh, lodging, all that stuff. Go down into the show notes. uh, Check out the link for that. I don't want to babble on about it. I'm just really excited. Uh, Other thing, we're launching our magazine here mid-March. That is coming. Go over to the show notes. Click on the website. Go to Harvest Nature slash magazine. You can read about that there. Sign up for notifications. Uh, We're we're looking, I'm thinking spring equinox time period is going to be a good time for that. So that's probably when we'll release. It'll be uh, digital. Fully digital with the option to print on demand. So it's gonna be really cool. A lot of interaction in there videos, clickable links, all these other things that you can interact with and, and really get uh, entertained and inspired. That's what we're looking for. And then uh, lastly, we've, we're, we're waiting, anxiously waiting in the mail our Spice Blend. Uh, our big game spice blends coming out too. As soon as I get it, you will know because we'll post it for sale. It's awesome. We all tested it. Corey tested it. Corey, what did you think of the big game blend?
2: Um, there was definitely on the the few that I had a chance to try. There was definitely a, a clear front runner that that I liked, and I think everybody um, mm-hmm. was the same way that they liked. That that particular blend.
1: Yep, that's that's the one we selected. That was my favorite too, and I tried it on antelope and venison. You tried it on whitetail deer, but we went through the gambit.
2: If you would have given me more, I would have, I would have done it on. Uh, goose. I'll send you some more. But you gave me just
1: just enough, just <laughs> right. enough for a, a sample. Um, just enough. What was I going to say? Yeah, we, we tested on everything. We tested on alligator. We tested on uh, wild pig. We tested on uh, Roosevelt elk, Rocky Mountain elk, uh, axis deer, whitetail deer, mule deer. Literally, we ran the gambit because we wanted to find the perfect blend, and I think we found it. So keep an eye out for that. That's coming soon. Um, ooh, and I'll, I'll talk about this one we haven't talked about it in a while. We have a Facebook community page. Uh, eat more wild food search it on facebook you can go there interact with all of us pretty much on a daily basis lots of little extra posts and informationals and questions and share your food and all those things happen there but with that i will bounce over to cory cory any updates
2: uh not a whole lot happening here um i think by the time we publish this episode we will already have the uh Freedom hunters pheasant hunt that uh, that I host. Um, that's th- this coming weekend um, of recording. So it's going to be. It's February nineteenth. So it's we held the first one back in 2019. We talked about it on an episode. It's been what two years two now. Two years now.
1: We're almost near three.
2: Yeah, cause yeah, well, cause we had to cancel 2020 because of COVID. And then 2021, there are some uh, other issues that uh, caused us not to be able to have it. But this year, we're having it. It's here in a couple days. We have like 20 vets that we're hunting. Uh, pheasants, and we're going to have some door prizes. And uh got some great corporate sponsors. Benelli, Heavy Shot, or, or a couple in the Go Wild. Nice. Harvesting Nature's a sponsor. Oh, nice. So uh, Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward, forward to awesome. it this weekend.
1: Awesome. Well, that's fun. I, I'm excited to hear about it afterwards. Uh, we, we definitely like getting involved with the veteran outdoor organizations. I think I talked about this a couple episodes ago, but I've uh, been working with BHA's Armed Forces Initiative, uh, their communications and... Uh, operations manager for the armed forces initiative so pretty excited about that uh get to do some more fun stuff at rendezvous and become more involved so either way uh let's shift gears a little bit unless you have anything else Corey?
2: no no that's it
1: all right i'm gonna introduce you guys uh so we have two guests on today and they are from the sportsman's alliance and uh brian is vice president of marketing and communications for the sportsman's alliance. He's been in the industry for over 20 years, working as a senior editor for ESPN outdoors and outdoor life magazine, as well as a freelance writer and working in television. He enjoys all aspects of the outdoors, but has a passion for upland bird and waterfowl sporting dogs in particular. Courtney is the Associate Director of Communications at Sportsman's Alliance. She is also an outdoor writer and consultant. She has worked with the Outdoor Channel, Wildfowl Magazine, Delta Waterfowl Magazine, Mule Deer Foundation Magazine, Carbon TV, Sportsman's Channel, Hunt to Eat, and many, many more. Please welcome Brian Lynn and Courtney Nicholson to the Wild Fishing Game
3: Podcast. Hey guys, it's great to be on.
1: Hi, right, thanks guys. Yeah, it's good to get. It's good to have you on. Uh, uh, excited to chat for sure. Um, so we'll, we'll ask this. I'm gonna open up this with a little icebreaker. And this is one of Corey's favorite questions, so I know he'll. It'll make him smile. What's What's in your freezer that you're looking forward to cooking next? Who goes first? Uh, whoever. whoever. Uh, let's Let's do it alphabetically. Brian. <laughs> uh, I'll just
4: be honest. 2021 was my worst year ever afield. I have a couple of uh, pheasants and quail is about it. I mean, it was a horrible deer season, horrible elk season. I'm just glad like we all hated 2020. I hated 2021 hunting season. So literally I just got some upland birds in there. It's been I'm looking forward to this next season and get turkey started off right here in a couple of months and hopefully it carries through all fall.
1: Man, I I I am 100% with you. You know, moving to Colorado this year, i kind of had to get my feet under me again in a new place and just like that's always I'm tough. glad Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I went to uh glad I went to Wyoming kind of on my yearly trip, brought back an antelope. Thought I was going to bring back an elk. Did not. And then like multiple attempts at deer, elk, antelope, whatever, geese, all these things in Colorado and I'm just like
0: ugh.
3: Maybe I can help you out with some uh, some pointers there. I definitely miss living in Colorado, yes. but uh, yeah, I had a similar experience this season. Uh, I actually moved from Colorado back to my home state of Massachusetts, so uh, very interesting switching gears and moving to a new state. but um, I'm probably most excited about I shot my first bear um, this past mm-hmm. season, so pretty excited about about cooking that and exploring some of my old favorite recipes and seeing what might come out best
1: oh i do enjoy bear we talked i forget who i was talking with last week but we got we got on a long a long rant about how much we enjoyed eating bear and it's just like i'm gonna i'm gonna save everybody listening that rant again but i'm excited to see
2: what you're gonna come up with for sure
3: i'm pretty excited
2: was that a bear in massachusetts or in colorado
3: it was in Massachusetts, it was out in Western Mass, so it's pretty tasty, I've only I've only cooked a little bit of it so far, and so kind of got layered with other things on top of it, so very excited. And tonight for dinner in our house we had goose ropaveja, so it's the first time Ooh, I've made yeah. it with goose, I usually make it with pronghorn, and it was quite good, because uh, those geese were quite marshy, they were ocean geese, <laughs> so Ooh, did, it did the trick. Yeah,
1: I- I would say Colin, uh, who's usually with us, but he's not tonight. He would appreciate that. So Colin lives in Oregon, and he I can attest to this because he brought me some some goose jerky when he came. But the geese that live there are very like swampy and muddy and he marshy and it just like tastes like mud, which mm-hmm. is fine. He's just like he's trying very uh, various methods to get rid of that that marshiness, which is okay. I mean. If you don't enjoy the flavor like work it out that's fine. Just um, add
3: more cumin seriously more yeah cumin.
1: <laughs> that's that's a tip for him what was it he did last he he texted me some pictures oh he was doing like a Mississippi roast, but with the goose and uh he said that it, it came out he said the peppercinis like cut down a lot of it so that that may be something if you've got more geese you want maybe want to give it a go nice. So, uh, if you guys want to, we can go in the same order, just to keep things easy, Uh, if you tell us a little bit more about yourself, I alluded to some, but where you're from, uh, and how you got introduced to the outdoors? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I live in Washington State, so
4: the upper left corner, and Courtney's over on the other side of the country, so, uh, and our headquarters is right in the middle of the country, so We've got it covered. Uh, Yeah, so I grew up in Washington State in the Columbia Basin, right in the middle of the state. Uh, Great waterfowling. Back then it was great upland birds. Now it's uh, not as great anymore, but uh, there's still quite a few around, or at least a variety. Uh, My stepdad got me interested when my mom got married to him. I was about 10, so uh, he got me interested in it and pretty much did the upland bird and waterfowling stuff. Uh, with our untrained Springer Spaniel running around, breaking and everything else. But, uh, you know, did that and then got into college and got into the uh, the big game hunting. And uh, was actually going to be a cop. And went huh. to school for that. Went on and got my English degree after the two-year degree in law enforcement. And I was like, what am I going to do if I don't like being a cop or I get hurt, something like that. And, you know, I got the English degree. And while I was waiting to get hired and doing my background check, there was literally an ad. I was living over in Seattle at the time. There was an ad in the Seattle PI. Do you like to hunt and fish? Can you write well? We're looking for editors. I was like, awesome. You know, cool. I can do that. And uh, I applied and got hired. And I ran the state of Texas hunting and fishing news magazine. And so I moved to Texas. And I was down there for a year. I was like 2000 2001 something like that 2000 i guess and uh did that for about a year and espn outdoors was launching so i got hired there and helped launch espn outdoors and run that and run bassmaster.com and did that for about six years before moving to on to outdoor life magazine and going over to new york city and and working there for a couple of years and uh, so i've got to see the whole country and the reddest of red states the bluest of blue states everything in between you know high-end hunts and then just some backwoods stuff and you know just growing up in the outdoors and in, in washington state with buddies and stuff so a little bit of everything and all over the country it's been a fun adventure
1: that's awesome yeah that sounds like uh it definitely quite quite the adventure um i was going to ask in in you're as i read earlier you're you're big into upland bird do you do you have a dog yeah
4: yeah i had to uh, right before we jumped on i took my headset off because i realized that i left the window blinds open the dog was looking out the window barking so i went and closed Ah. the blinds real quick but yeah i got a a black lab he this was oh nice yeah this was his second season so he worked hard and put a lot of miles in and didn't put a lot of birds up so and then i missed a couple when he worked really hard and (laughs) He's still
1: game to do it, though, so we're good to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, All right, Courtney, so would would you tell us a little bit about yourself as well?
3: Yeah, so I'm originally from New England, from Cape Cod, and uh, I grew up fishing, clamming, camping uh, with my family all over New England, Maine, New Hampshire, um, but no one in my family hunted. Um, So I actually moved to New York City uh, for college, and was dead set on working in the TV industry, so I did that for a couple of years, working for a bunch of different shows um, on set and in post production. And then uh, happened to get a job at Sportsman Channel, and had never hunted before, had shot a gun a couple of times, um, but kind of dove right in. And after working there for about a year, going to my first shot show, I thought, you know this. Really seems pretty interesting. I think I want to give it a try. So I actually took hunter ed by myself up in the Bronx Which is a very interesting experience Uh, Went out and bought the cheapest shotgun I could find in case I didn't like this whole hunting thing I wouldn't be that you know invested and um, (laughs) and yeah, my first hunt was 2012 I believe in upstate New York, so I had been connected with another female hunter who was a friend of a friend, and she took me out for turkeys. And uh, you know, it's been a terrible addiction ever since, so um, (laughs) I've hunted pretty much all across this country, every species I can think of, every opportunity I've had, uh, the chance to. Every year I try to hunt at least one new state and at least one new species, Um, and so doing doing pretty well at experiencing a little bit of all parts of the country kind of like brian has from new england to new york city i lived in denver for a while i lived in michigan for a bit so really east to west um experiencing all the different types of hunting that's out there so
1: that's awesome i i really like uh what you said trying new species a new species or a new state like every year like that's it's cool. I, I've been trying to branch out a little more myself, um, you know, before I was in the Florida Keys and, you know, there's iguanas. You can hunt iguanas, you can spearfish, but it's like outside of that, there's, uh, you know, there's not much to hunt. So we started looking to other states and seeing what kind of adventures uh, I could get myself into. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm starting to get around to been, uh, well, I've been, to, I went to Pennsylvania uh, this year and then visited Corey, and we did flintlock there and then last spring i was up in oregon so that's about as close as i could get to to where you're at brian and then uh now i've got some invitations to come up and do some some hunting in eastern washington so it's just like kind of kind of all over uh but no i i think that's as someone who grew up like loving to travel and loving to like experience new places i've kind of like smushed the two together and it's like i may not know much about where i'm going but you know i'll go there and try to figure it out uh sometimes for the best or for the worst uh, either way it's, it, it comes out to be a cool adventure so um any any favorite hunts or favorite adventures fishing trips foraging anything that that stands out to you guys that that, that you really are like this is the one i i like to tell yeah i mean
4: i've been lucky to be able to go on a bunch of cool hunts but probably the biggest was going up to alaska for the king eider and going out to saint paul island like in the middle of the bering sea in -hmm. january and like by the time we left the bering sea was freezing and locking up and i mean it's 40 below with a 40 mile an hour wind you're going out into the surf to grab the ducks, and it can—I mean, death is right there. <laughs> like you don't even wow. know if you're going to get out there, and what's going to happen. I mean, it's that's where all those uh, crabbing boats are at, and we saw those out there. So that was just a an adventure, uh, literally an adventure.
1: Wow that that is that's pretty intense. That seems like the most extreme way of duck hunting that I've ever heard
4: yeah I I don't think there's anything more extreme I mean you've never felt so small you know it's just Mm -hmm. it's it it was another world I mean you're closer to Russia than you are to Anchorage at that point and (laughs) it's just you're out there in the middle of nowhere and
1: (laughs) oh wow you know so did you guys do it you did it obviously or maybe not by boat are you doing it in blinds from land towards the water you're, you're either doing
4: pass shooting just sitting there on the rocks as they go by and and trying to get one or if the seas were calm enough you could go out in the boat and we went out in like little 12 foot zodiacs sitting on a cooler Ooh. and i'm like what's going on i was like, where's the life jacket They're like don't worry if you fall in you're not going to need it you're not going to be around long enough
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, I was about to say like the must- Mustang suits, and I couldn't imagine trying to shoot a shotgun in a Mustang. Yeah, suit. yeah.
4: So it was kind of it took a little getting used to, and we got out there. I don't know, two or three times I think. Uh, but if they, as soon as the waves started showing a little white cap, it was head in, turn. Yep. Because it can kick up real quick, and oh, and there's yeah. some nasty uh, tides and swirls out there. So. But that that's the big adventure, I think, will always stick out. I got the ducks in my coffee table, you know, mounted in there, a couple harlequins and the king eider and
3: the oh, that's cool. old squatter are long
4: tails too. up on the wall. So, yeah, it was pretty cool.
1: How, how's, uh, how's the edibility? I don't know if that's a word, but I'll make it up. Yeah, we we, up uh, <laughs> we we ate some up there.
4: We made them more like buffalo chicken strips kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with with enough buffalo sauce, it's kinda like putting something in chili. Yeah. Enough spice and whatever. <laughs> tastes fine.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. No, no, no. That's good. Uh Courtney, how about how about you?
3: Gosh, there's a lot of a lot of hunts that come to mind. Um definitely over the last two years, uh really did a lot of hunting and a lot of exploring during during all of this. Um so I think last year was pretty cool. Uh, my boyfriend and I kind of got to share with each other uh, some of the different styles of hunting in different places that we love. So um, he actually came out to Wyoming um, and we went hunting for pronghorn. So I've been hunting for a couple of years out in Wyoming and Colorado, and it was his first time hunting out West and experiencing that and chasing pronghorn. So I was able to guide him on that hunt uh and he got a great public land buck and it was just a blast uh i pulled a couple doe tags and it was a really fun experience to be able to show him uh that new landscape and that new kind of hunting and then we uh swapped off and he uh showed me what he loves uh which is upland hunting and specifically grouse hunting and so we have two English setters and um, that's really his passion is going up to Maine in the fall and hunting for grouse and woodcock. And so I had only done a teeny bit of that when I lived up in Michigan, uh, not successfully. And so to be able to go up there and, uh, and spend time with the dogs and with his family and, and kind of learn about him and chase him was, was really pretty cool. So when it all came together of uh, our dog had an amazing point on a grouse, And I actually (laughs) connected, connected on it and uh, was actually shooting a a over under that I get to borrow that was his, uh, given to him by his dad that they had both hunted with. So that was a pretty, pretty special hunt and a pretty special season to, to share with each other. Two different, two different kinds of hunting.
1: Yeah. Two, two very different. And I'm, I'm a sucker for pronghorn hunting. I, I've, I've loved it since the first time I did it five years ago and I, I, I've yet to find something that tops it, although things are close, but I don't know. I just, it's, it's something about it. But for grouse and woodcock in Maine, I, I'm trying to picture what that looks like. What's the terrain kind of like when you're up there?
3: it's beautiful. So, uh, we kind of went up at the beginning of the month when the leaves were still on the trees. And so I might be biased, but I think that fall in New England is just the best you get, (laughs) you know, all the different colors of the leaves and it's just starting to get cold and really beautiful. And so you're waiting for all the leaves to fall off so you can really see the birds, uh, kind of get better shots at them. And, um, it's, it's just stunning. So, um, lots of cool rivers to kind of hunt around and so you're kind of looking at a lot of areas that had been logged uh mm-hmm. fairly recently and so they're a little bit easier to walk <laughs> to walk through and and shoot through and so uh definitely a lot of fun and learned a lot
1: No awesome I uh, thank you for painting the picture it's uh it sounds something really cool I've I've uh, long wanted to go up and hunt up in the northeast I think it's just uh it presents a very unique environment and it's you know you find some of the same species you find across the US but then there's also some very unique ones there and it's just like it's a different environment from where i'm i'm comfortable at so it's a uh, something cool to think about for sure man those are both really good stories i really like thanks for sharing those
0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. So let's... uh
1: let's talk a little bit about sportsman's alliance uh you know i think that's kind of one of the reasons we're here (laughs) um so if you can uh can you tell us about sportsman's alliance the the goal the mission uh kind of give us give us the good overview yeah the the you know
4: cliff's notes boiled down version is we exist to protect protect hunting fishing and trapping specifically from the animal rights movement you know it's uh we work in the legislature all 50 state legislatures state and federal court and at the ballot box so if there's a threat that comes up we're working against you know just to stop that threat and uh, we also have a research component to our mission as well as an education component but the advocacy side is you know probably the most visible and right now the biggest you know and you know all of them are important, but every time we lose one of those battles, everybody loses. You know, we we lose a season, we lose the, lose a method. You know, uh, in the industry loses business, and there, you know, then it starts cycling down from to the conservation dollars and pittman Robertson and everything else. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the boiled down, quick version.
1: So l- l- let me ask you this, and and this is from. I guess just a, a, a very generalized question, but you you may or may not have folks. You always see people talking about it, or like the animal rights group or industry or whatever organizations you want to call them. They're they're always trying to sort of chip away or trying to eliminate the rights of a hunter, of an angler, of a trapper, anyone. How how real is that threat? Like, it's real.
4: I mean, they're doing it left and right you know, and I'm here in Washington, right? Washington State. Mm-hmm. We lost hound hunting for bears and mountain lions and the use of bait in 1996. You know, and then this year what they try to do? They're trying to stop the bear hunt. You know, yep. so they take every chance they get. They'll take a little bit, they'll come back for more later. You know, I, you look up at New Hampshire, we just had a bill we were working on and, and killed it, but it was a backdoor attempt, not even that big of a backdoor attempt, but they wanted to stop the raising of rabbits that you use in field trials. You can still raise rabbits, huh. you just can't use them in field trials for beagles and scenting. So that eliminates yeah. scent trials in the state, which then destroys the bloodlines. Without good bloodlines, you don't have good hunting dogs. Without yep. good hunting dogs, you're not hunting. And they take many approaches. You know, Sometimes it's a direct, you know, stop this hunt, you know, stop hounding or baiting or whatever. Sometimes it's a backdoor attempt like that, where you take a piece of it away. Sometimes it's it's an economic approach, with you know, uh, for dogs is a good example. Make it so expensive through regulation that puppies then become out of reach uh, financially for the average guy. If you have to, oh yeah, feel if if a breeder or the trainer has to have certified. You know dog houses and has to do all of these little things through regulation that he has to hire more people buy different stuff whatever endure inspections pay fees all that gets passed down to the puppy to the consumer and then it gets too expensive so there's many many different ways are going about it but it's real
1: yeah I, I and it's it's always surprising i mean maybe it's surprising to me like when I see it and just like kind of the the outwardness of like, no, 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 this is what this is what we want to do. We want to stop this particular thing. And I, I was thinking about, so I, I wrote a news article uh, for Harvest Nature back in January when uh, they were trying to, the Humane Society, the Center for Biological Diversity and the Mountain Lion Foundation were trying to organize, uh, they, they had like a training to have people go on and speak out against uh, the fishing Games regulatory like review and say no, 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 we, we don't want this to happen and I was like, holy smokes, just like we're going to be like holding our hunting camp of like, hey guys, come out, we'll teach you how to butcher a pig, we'll teach you how to go shoot it like, on the opposite side of the spectrum, you've got somebody like hey, here's how we want you to get up and present against hunting and here's the theories that we have And I'm sure you guys have seen it. Like most, a lot are not scientifically backed um, theories of of why why we're right and everybody else is wrong. And it was just like, wow.
4: Yeah. No. And and they've done that before. I've actually, I actually just figured out how to change my name back. But I changed my name on Zoom, and I joined one of those things last year. And they just point blank lie. They go, "We're not anti-hunting. We just don't like this kind of hunting." You know, you, you see in Colorado they've done that with bear hunting. Now they're trying mm-hmm. to stop bear hunting. It's they yep. take a little, they leave for a little while, then they come back. You know, they, they they like to spin it that they're not, but they definitely are anti-hunting.
1: It's crazy, and I, I mean we we've we've kind of hinted at it, and you've you've said it very importantly. But for those that need the the very obvious statement, why should hunters care? about the mission that you guys have at sportsman's alliance
4: yeah uh well if you want to hunt <laughs> there you go i mean that, that should be enough it's, it's pretty point blank uh yeah. and, and then just beyond your own personal reasons and your enjoyment the bigger overarching piece is conservation and the wildlife management model right now mm-hmm. they are attacking predator management washington colorado arizona california that's all predator management what happens when you don't regulate the, pred- the predators? They eat more ungulates. More ungulates are gone, that means the surplus is gone, which then means tags get reduced. You start removing tags, you remove hunting. You remove that, you remove the funding. The model then begins to break. And that's what they're trying to do is break the model so they can rebuild it in the image they want, which is, quote, rewilding. You know, and that's n- nature. They think this nature can balance itself thing. Nature is never in balance. A series of booms and busts, bust cycles, you know, and then at the end of the day, wildlife is what suffers. The habitat suffers, and the different species suffer as they boom and bust.
1: So, be it be it that we are a a fishing, game, food centric podcast. Uh, how how do you think that uh, wild game cooking um, can can help? the hunting community and and contribute to your mission at sportsman's alliance
3: you know i think cooking is so important as part of our public image as sportsmen and i think that it oftentimes goes you know uh, not thought about as much as it could be and i think Mm -hmm. that there's one big word that that ties it up to is the word trophy and so i love you know i Lived in New York City for a long time. I probably have way more non-hunting friends than I've had hunting friends um, over the years, and so I have totally devised a elevator pitch, <laughs> if it would of you know why you know why I hunt, why we eat wild game, and why our traditions are important, and I think that that really goes a long way to combat that that T word, that trophy mm-hmm. word. And I think that especially already in this season, you know, we've seen through all the testimony, especially recently in Colorado, person after person after person, everything that you read in the news sources is saying, we don't do this for tradition. We don't do this for food. We don't do this for, you know, any of that. It is purely for trophy. That's it. And I think the easiest, easiest way that we can combat that is with cooking. And with Mm -hmm. teaching and sharing and, you know, the comparisons, you know, of saying, you know, you're eating meat, we're eating meat, you know, this is kind of the life cycle of, you know, the animals that we've been chasing, you know, they're living on the landscape, they're enjoying nature, they're as natural as you can get, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they are everything you'd want in a wild animal and everything you'd want out of nature to experience. And we're lucky enough to participate in and to enjoy from and share with our family and friends. And so I think visually and it's just the easiest way to kind of instantly combat some of that. Uh,
4: Yeah, especially the trophy side. That's a great point. The other side is introducing people to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've taken goose to Christmas parties and not told anybody what it is and throwing it out there and watch them just gobble it up. And they're like, "What kind of beef is this?" Like it's goose. What you can't eat geese, and then you get into the discussion, right? So now you're starting to talk to them and they're understanding. Oh, you do eat it, you know. So it, it works on both sides to bring them in a little bit to help them understand, and then that emotional response against the trophy idea, which is a huge, huge piece there, and being able to undermine that.
1: Yeah, I think that the the shift, you know, there's been a lot of growth in the area, and I think a lot of people across the hunting community have really embraced, you know, the need to showcase food. Not only is, like, is it a natural thing to do, right? I go to a nice restaurant. I'm like, oh, look at this pretty plate. I want to take a picture of it, and I want to share it with my friends. So, one, I can either remember it later or they can be jealous because they're not here with me. But, you know, uh, that, that be aside, like the same mindset i think is is being approached in wild game and and not not a way to be selfish or or braggart about it but is to like hey we, we've now really started to create uh communities and connect people across different state borders that may or may not have talked or conversed before i mean look at us here we're all spread across the country and we're, we're talking about hunting and food like you know 30 years ago, unless we were at a convention or happened to wander each other in, in a diner, like would this even be happening? And I, I think it's great. And using food is that focal point to kind of bind the community together. Cause we've got, we've got lots of interests. You know, you've got hunters, you've got anglers, you've got trappers, you've got foragers, but when it comes down the majority of the time, those people can sit down at the same table and enjoy a meal and share stories and be like, Hey, look at this really awesome resource we have and this really awesome ability, you know, through our wildlife model that we're able to do. And I think that, that I have to really kind of commend you guys for, for the, the safeguarding and the protecting. Like you guys are out on the front lines, kind of, kind of chomping, chomping through the, uh, you know, the hardship so that everybody might really enjoy this. And and I thank you for that.
2: What are, what are some of the, the issues that that sportsman's Alliance is fighting right now, like the the big stuff that you're really combating
4: yeah well the the big thing that just came out uh, is you know what's going on with public lands and the National Wildlife Refuge system. Uh, you know to kind of get to the root of this, it's actually an initiative that Sportsman's Alliance championed in nineteen ninety seven or actually before that ninety four um, We started working on it. And in 97, Clinton signed the 1997 Refuge Improvement Act, which says that hunting is a use. Hunting, fishing, trapping, or consumptive sports are, are management tools to be used on national wildlife refuges where they're compatible. And this is where you see every administration comes out and the first thing they do, what do they do? They expand hunting and fishing opportunities on public lands. And this, thats it—within the National Wildlife Refuge, you know. Uh, so, like millions of acres, each one does millions. Biden just did the most back in you know this summer. He opened up you know several million acres, and so that's a that's a huge piece, right? And that's a lot of property that people can get out and hunt and be and use. Well, Center for Biological Diversity back in November sued the administration. Over the 2020 expansion, which was under Trump, he expanded it to 2.2 million acres Center for Biological Diversity sued under the premise that critical habitat for endangered species are being trampled by hunters that lead poisoning animals are being lead poisoned by spent ammunition and that in the West where there's grizzly bear overlap that uh, bear hunters would kill grizzly bears by mistake and or in self-defense. And so those were the premises that they were suing on. So we were getting ready to file on an amicus brief, you know, a friend of the court and come in and, and with a defense and a couple other groups were too. And lo and behold, just last week, all of a sudden the Biden administration and Center for Biological Diversity filed a stay so they could settle and they think they can reach a settlement. and negotiate on this public land opportunity that's been around for over 25 years. And so that's, you know, we just came out with that, you know, today. And that's very concerning. This is a big issue. It's one we championed, you know, almost 30 years ago, started to, and everybody has enjoyed since then. You know, so now Mm -hmm. we have real questions. They're settling, one, what are they settling what 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 are they negotiating on? You know, it's strong, strong legal precedent, strong scientific backing. Why are they settling? What are they settling? What are they going to give up? Because that's what happens when you negotiate. You give something up. And then two, where are the sportsmen in this? Why is the administration mm-hmm. doing this behind closed doors with people who are opposed to hunting when you're talking about hunting? So that's a big issue,
1: you know. I think mean, yeah, those those are very uh, those are very unsettling questions for the reason that you highlighted. It's just like I, I, you know, we mentioned earlier, like kind of the attacks coming from all side and then sort of this at the national level. But it's just weird that, you know, and and for folks to understand, like the decisions made by administrations to open up uh, uh, wetlands or wildlife refuge lands or any of it for. You know for hunting opportunities that's that's not just done you know yes in theory in a, a, a swift movement of a pen but it's backed by research and all that data from federal agencies from you know accredited research institutions from hunters from anglers like it, there's a big collective that that are providing this information forward and it's not just something like oh you know what today 2.2 million, that sounds like a great number. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's do it. They're, they're not pulling yeah, this like, out of
4: nowhere. I mean, every no. national wildlife refuge has a management plan, and it has it for every species. Mm-hmm. You know, they know the approximate populations. They know what the challenges are, which species are susceptible. Everything's usually conservative, you know, population-based and resource-based. So this is not like, hey, we're just going to pull this out of our ass and make it up and, you know, just go on about the day. This is all backed by data. It's it's you know scientific. It's everything. So the fact that they're negotiating it all is worrisome.
1: Yeah, because it's no, nobody really has access to the information of of what's being said, like what case is being pled against it uh, as to why that this is such a bad idea. And man, I the the reasons listed for the lawsuit. It's just like. <laughs> There's been so many mitigations for, you know, for lead poisoning with the use of non-toxic shot and all these other things that have have implemented and ingrained into hunters that it's just like, it, it's a hard pill to swallow.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a big one at the federal level. Um, most wildlife management, however, takes place at the state level, right? Like, mm-hmm. the feds manage the refuge system, but they don't typically manage the method method and means that was another lawsuit we were in you know on the preserves in, in alaska uh and that's still ongoing but most of it takes place at the at the state level the feds managed uh the endangered species act and the migratory bird act the rest of the stuff is pretty much state-based that's why you see these state attacks and it's legislation or they'll go through petitions in the comment period and then they'll try to sue and then when all recourses have been stopped, they go to a ballot initiative, and they just try to put it up to a popular vote. That's where you start to get into the rural versus urban divide, and that's where we get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Because those urban folks don't understand what we're doing always, they don't get it, and they don't have to deal with the consequences and repercussions of bad management decisions. It's not gonna affect their life. It affects our lives when we wanna go out there and shoot deer and the deer have been eaten by predators. It affects our lives when you know uh, the ranchers. You know during calving season and coyotes are killing the calves. It affects them. It doesn't affect anybody in downtown San Francisco or Boulder or Seattle or New York City or Chicago.
1: I I the one that automatically comes to mind is uh, it was in Oregon uh, and it was in twenty twenty one. It was the initiative petition thirteen yep. or IP thirteen, like. So that's we, Yeah. That, that, we've, that. we've talked about this a couple of times on this show and it's so, just like Yeah, we gotta wait
4: watch that. Yeah, I mean that's like their Valhalla, like the golden ring grabbed on the carousel type deal. Like they're going forward all there. And we we don't know where it's at. So we have to proceed as if as if it's going to be on the ballot. You know, so they have until the end of June to collect the necessary signatures. And if they hit it in july and they're all certified it'll be on the ballot in november but they're doing it privately doing it private funding they're not paying uh paid signature gatherers so they don't have to report their numbers of where they're at so we don't we have no clue if they're using paid signature gatherers they'd have to turn it in like quarterly and we'd be like oh there's no way they're gonna make this but we don't know right now so there's a big coalition on the ground and we're preparing as if it's going to be there on
1: on, in november uh, and I'll I'll just refresh everybody uh, real quick that the the IP thirteen is basically uh, to eliminate any time of uh, killing intentional anything. killing of any animal. That's agriculture. That's that's a that mouse. Everything. That's a yep.
4: mouse in your house. I mean, this is a Dr. Seuss. It's so dumb. You know, it's like, and if you do it in the presence of a child, you've committed a felony. If you breed your dog, it becomes a sex act, you know? So then you're you're on the registered sex offender list. And, I mean, it's just crazy. You can still eat meat. It just has to die of natural causes natural. Yeah. first.
2: So you, you cover every state and, and federal stuff. How do you keep track of it all? How do you find if- where these things crop up? How do you have the resources to fight them, and and how do you just keep it all straight and know know what's going on?
4: Yeah, that that's a challenge. <laughs> I'm sure Courtney can can attest to that as she's come in and and seen it. And a lot of times I say, like, whoa, somebody brings something back up to the top. But you know, we have software. We we have a, a software that many of the other NGOs have as well. That is scanning every bill that's put that's introduced in every state pulls out keywords we look at it sometimes it doesn't apply you know it could be a keyword that applies to something else nasa or something you know and you know hunting for aliens or something you know that doesn't apply so (laughs) we look at it go nope that doesn't work okay here are these you know the these are legit let's watch these then you got to stop sit back and look at the makeup of different committees different states like this isn't going anywhere we know this one isn't going anywhere put it on the side market so if it does move for some weird reason we can get flagged you know and then try to start working the back-end political side of things you know giving calls to the sponsors a lot of times these guys don't know what they've done you know they've, they've talked to a lobbyist and they're like oh okay that sounds good you know and so if you just tell them with a phone call a lot of times they'll go Oh, I didn't know. You know, they either pull it or they'll offer an amendment or an exception, which is a lot of things we do with dogs. You know, it, everybody likes to paint the uh, Democrat versus Republican thing and say it's just Democrats doing this, but a lot of the dog stuff gets introduced by Republicans in cities too. You know, so we give them a call and be like, Hey, we need an exception or something. And so they'll say, okay does not apply to sporting dogs or the act of sporting or training or whatever you know and so we'll get an exception written in their amendment or work with it somehow so if we can kill the stuff before we even have to put it out there the better you know the sooner you kill it the better the longer it goes in the process the harder it gets to get going because they get more public behind them they get more media behind them and so the sooner we can kill it the better so a lot of times you know, we're not always the first out the door with it because we're trying to work the back end side of things. Give a give the sponsor a call. See where it's at. Look at the committee makeups and be like, Oh, this one won't go anywhere. They got the committee or somebody telling us. A lot of times people will tell us like they can do what they want, but it's not gonna get called up or it's not gonna get passed out or we're not calling the vote. You know. So if we can work that back end, that's even better. But yeah, it's it's a process as far as there's hundreds of bills you know, thousands of bills and we'll whittle it down to hundreds and then we'll watch most of them and try to stop them before they go. And then the ones that hit, it's like, yeah, call or email or whatever we need to do.
1: Wow. And so, Courtney, you've only, you've been with Sportsman's Alliance for a couple months now. You said earlier, how how has it, excuse me, how has it been kind of stepping into this world and, and really digging in on the, the legislative side and, and kind of understanding and observing or acting?
3: You know, it's been really exciting. I've been with Sportsman's Alliance for about two months now. And even though I've uh, been in the hunting space for quite a while and tracked a lot of these bills in you know the individual state where I live um on a whole a lot of this has been quite new to me and so uh working with our public outreach and you know our social media and our newsletter and our website i get to kind of be a little bit of a barometer of you know uh how are we taking these you know sometimes very complicated sometimes very misleading convoluted bills and explaining them you know to our members um and especially explaining what we know, what we might know next and, you know, when and how that they can help. Um, it's been really interesting. And so, you know, like pretty much every other nonprofit and NGO, um, Sportsman's Alliance has been doing incredible work since, I mean, they were created in 1977 officially became a organization in 1978 and just Every single day, keep doing this great work. Uh, you know that not everyone really knows about, right? It's the <laughs> crux of the nonprofit. You know they do a terrible job of uh, you know letting people know the good work that that they do. And so, um, and so that's that's really kind of the goal of our department is to walk that line between our government affairs uh, team, who is out there every day doing the legislative work. Um, you know, all of them are either. Have worked in legislature for quite a long time. Some of them are lawyers. All of them have been working in this space for quite some time. And then relaying that to our members. And it's been really exciting in the past couple of years uh, to talk to them and then just being in the other communities that we're a part of. You know, people have really stepped up and not only gotten interested but getting involved in a lot of these, um, a lot of these bills, a lot of these petitions open comment periods whatever is going on and are really you know wanting to get educated and so that's kind of the Mm -hmm. next step of what we're working on in our department is um, kind of walking that line between what our government affairs team is doing uh, you know in their discussions and then when uh, we can kind of open it up to the public and so that's been Really interesting to see and to kind of learn about that process of you know okay a bill's being introduced okay now it needs to get signed to a committee okay now it's waiting for a hearing date um, and doing our best to keep our keep our members informed uh, you know a lot of times it's a uh, well we're we're kind of waiting and there's a lot of times where you know some of these bills can die a quiet death and and that's that's kind of the best thing you know a lot of these committees uh they're assigned their pile of bills for the year and a lot of times you know they can't even feasibly get through them all and so they try to prioritize them and you know if we can get in and speak to them and kind of do some initial conversations and letters and uh, you know we do the same on our end with these you know hundreds of bills that we're tracking. We try to prioritize as well, and so really looking at those states that are crucial that they've been hammering year after year, and uh, and really leaning on our on our partners. And so we get to work with pretty much every other NGO, um, and it's pretty cool that we're all fairly specialized in what we do um, as far as. Uh, You know, different setups between memberships, and you know what we do with different uh, organizations. So it's pretty cool collaborative work.
1: It's cool. It's it's cool to hear the kind of behind the scenes. Um, It's neat. Um, What I was gonna say is, so talking about me, average hunter. uh, What what can I do to get involved? How can I support the mission? How can I uh, you know help? voice my concerns Uh, what what are the best avenues to do that
4: Uh, yeah it depends on what the fight is actually and where it's at and you know a court case is different than legislation so if we're talking legislation You know that's where you need to call your state senator or state representative you know and try to kill the bill or amend it or tell them whatever they need to hear and that often varies the message often varies and the timing often varies sometimes it's in a committee sometimes it's when it goes to a floor vote whatever um getting active and doing that for that state-based legislation is probably the biggest thing you know uh the other things go different ways, uh, ballot initiatives and court cases, that's kind of out of every individual's hands and plays to the bigger public and as well as uh, legal uh, thresholds and procedures. But most of the threats we face are at the state-based legislative level, every single session, you know? So, you know, becoming active in that, which has been great to see, especially this cycle. And I think it kind of started in the last session you know, with California, the legislation there and, and different, different things like that. And then it's, it's really ramped up this, this session. So it's been really nice to see that.
1: It's good. So, uh, I think it, uh, my, my takeaway from that is kind of like use our voice, reach out, say, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm a constituent. I, I am in disagreement with what is going on. Yeah. And he, and, and do it in a, you know, a smart way. I mean, yeah
4: you can you know i mean i was talking to some game commissioners a couple weeks ago and they're like yeah we need to hear some more about like uh courtney alluded to your tradition you know Mm -hmm. your culture because this is at the root of it it's a culture battle between urban and rural between hunter and grocery shopper basically and so you know talk about that throw in the science and do that tell them you're a constituent if you're in the state you know if you're not if you're a non-resident. You can tell them that, hey, you do hunt there. You have hunted there. You have trapped or fished or whatever, or you plan to. You know, that's what we told people in Colorado. Like, this isn't just a Colorado issue. If you've ever hunted there or want to hunt there again and are saving to go on a Colorado elk hunt, this impacts you, you know. So yeah. state that, you know, and let it, and
1: let it be known. And I, I see, um, so I'm on the Sportsman's Alliance uh, webpage now. If, if folks want to get there, you go to sportsman'salliance.org and uh, your Legislative Action Center here. Very, very useful tool. Uh, you can throw your street address in there and find your elected officials, yeah. and then it, it kind of plugs you in. Uh, senators, House members, executives, all those folks. And I think it's a great avenue. But I, I really want to hit on what Brian says: like do it smartly, like yeah. not just you know. Not just screaming, you know, screaming in the wind or whatever.
4: And everybody loves the one-click stuff, and tonnage-wise, it's great, and PR-wise, it's great. But talking to game commissioners and also knowing Mm -hmm. we know legislators, they read one of them, they get the idea of the gist, and then all those form letters just go into a pile. Some even have Mm -hmm. the the different platforms blocked. You know, one-click politics guys we know in ohio or like 50 of the senators have them or 50 of the house rep guys have it blocked so it's a rule it just goes in the trash they don't even see it so oh, wow. if you can i know it's easy and it's it feels good to do that but if you can send it from your personal email address not through a platform it's much more effective yeah you know but both sides you know there there's an argument for both but the most effective is your personal voice coming from you
1: yeah and most of those like emails uh, offices all those stuff like if you start searching around the internet you can definitely get connected with those pretty easily too so uh to find find stuff but yeah i mean i i think i i say this uh a lot more um is i get more educated on on the real larger hunting community is is that um you know, we, we really, as hunters and anglers, we have to kind of safeguard what we've got. And, you know, just as much as we're trying to expand and get more opportunity for us, for generations in the future, for everyone, like, you know, we've talked about tonight, like, there's kind of an active active movement to chip away at those things. And I think, um, you know, I don't want to be like, hey, this is a scare tactic, but it's just like, just think constructively. Like, there there are people that disagree, and that that's a you know that is in fact a threat to our yeah, yeah. it's not a scare tactic
4: it's not you know I, I would love it if it was but uh it's not i mean we're losing things left and right like i said washington mm-hmm. oregon can't use hounds california can't use hounds and that's what they go after are these smaller niche uh issues mm-hmm. hounds bait trapping you know, those are the things they're going after because, one, not a lot of sportsmen do it. Two, it's easy to yep. spin to the general public, you know. And so if you got a deer hunter or something going, I don't care about hounds or bait or whatever, it doesn't affect me. It does. In the long run, Down, going down the, the path, it will affect you. It will reduce your tags, you know. Mm-hmm. But they, it's also a great story. They can tell the general public during a ballot initiative, during a legislative <coughs> battle, you know. And they've got media stuff that they can... They can spin up a great story completely devoid of science and anything else, but emotion always trumps out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Um, well, uh, Corey, do you have have any last, last questions for, before we move to the last comments?
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in talking with Brian and our government affairs team and kind of what's been going on the last couple of years at Sportsman's Alliance, you know, we've been around for quite a while and obviously a lot longer than social media and a lot of the, um, you know, different ways that we can disseminate information and such. And it's really cool to see, um, you know, this turn of a lot of times, you know, like you were saying, how do we find out about all these bills? And, uh, you know, the the bills are easy to kind of discover. It's these smaller issues it's the petitions it's the you know a meeting going on something that someone mentioned it's uh you know the designation of a area being changed you know from a national you know from a wildlife area to a national park and we get a tremendous amount of information from our members. And so keeping in touch with us, you know, is pretty awesome. You know, that's what we're here for. That's why we're here for our members. So, you know, we do our very best, you know, be patient with us. We're a fairly small team. Um, But we want to hear from you guys. You know, if there's something going on in your state, there's something fishy, um, give us a call, send us an email, Um, you know, connect with us on social Um, and we'll do our very best to, you know, figure out the best way to. To attack it um, and to address it with our government affairs team, and so that's been really exciting to see the amount of participation from folks saying, you know, you know, there's an issue going on, and we'll hear from you know email, calls, DMs saying, you guys wear this, Are you guys wear this, and we're like, yep, we're on it, and they're like, awesome, this is great, you know, and it's it's pretty powerful, and it's it's. Pretty inspiring, You know, I read our, our comments sometimes and there's some folks that say, you know, oh, forget about that state. They're too far gone. Or some folks just saying, man, you know, I feel defeated, like just defeated. You know, we're, you know, all, all these groups are so much bigger than we are. You know, I don't feel my voice is being heard. You know, I, I, I don't know what to do. And, you know, we're never going to give up the air sportsman's alliance you know they've been doing it for a long time we're going to be doing it for a long time we're never going to give up you know not in any state not on any species no season uh no method of take you know we're here so it's it's pretty exciting and you know we can't do it without our community we can't do it without our members so go on the website sign up to become a member uh, we have club memberships as well You've got a trapping association, Houndsman Association, you know, come on, support okay. us as a club. Um, and sign up for our newsletters. Um so we have you'll get our weekly email newsletter, you'll get state specific uh initiatives just for your state, and and keep in touch with us. That's what keeps us all going.
1: That's awesome. Thanks for that, Corey. Now, <laughs> I was
2: just I was just gonna ask, there's a membership program correct and but you already answered my question yeah there's
4: there's uh, about any way you want to be a member an individual member at different levels you own a business it's a tax write-off because you're protecting your business so you can join as a business partner uh like courtney said if you have a outdoors club or whatever you can join at a club level and pool your money you know collective money so it's not any one person paying too much uh Just about any way you want to do it, we can do it. If you want to donate, to, uh, we're a 501c3 and c4, so you can donate just to the legal side of things with our Sportsman's uh, Legal Defense Fund if you want. And so you know that money will just go to fight these lawsuits. Any way you want to give us money, we'll take it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, with that... um... Uh, I'll I'll leave it open. Uh, if you guys have questions, comments, or or last thought you want to leave, Courtney's was very, very well uh, framed. Uh, so if there are none, that's cool too. Um, but anything you want to leave the guests with or you want to ask us or anything?
4: Uh, if you can just, uh, yeah, Sports Men's Alliance, M-E-N-S, sportsmensalliance.org, and Sports Alliance on Facebook and Sports All on Instagram. That's where a lot of stuff goes up and people talk about it and share it. And so follow us, get our emails, join, share our stuff, whatever you can do to help spread the, spread the fight and protect hunting, fishing, and trapping. Thank you for having us on, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Courtney, anything?
3: That's about it.
1: Sweet. Corey, I'll go to you for last thought.
2: Just, well, I appreciate Courtney reaching out um, to uh, to make this podcast episode happen, so thank you for that. And it was a pleasure talking with you guys. Um, like Justin was saying earlier, it's it's where else can you do this talk to people from all over the country about hunting and eating and and yeah so i appreciate it
3: well thanks guys for having us on
2: absolutely i i'm
1: glad we could all all come together at a time to chat too and and thanks like course said courtney for reaching out um i also want to say like i'll say it again i said earlier thanks for for keeping the fight thanks for keeping keeping things moving forward and and really representing us you know uh, I, I have a love for the outdoors I have a love for the kitchen I I like to read and write And eat and do all these things And I always appreciate it when Others passions align with that And then they also have their own Passion and you guys are kind of In that protection realm And, and that passion shows through With your knowledge uh, tonight And so I, I I really thank you for that And uh, aw- Awesome show I'm excited to share it with everyone Um and then for everybody else uh, out there listening, we, we mentioned social media platforms uh, for Sportsman's Alliance, so make sure you go check those out. Once you're done with that, head over to uh, Harvesting Nature's pages. Uh, same thing, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, pinterest i don't know we're probably places i don't even know about but that's okay uh check us out there uh and then one last thing uh all the show notes will be online and then whatever podcast platform you're listening to please punch that five star button leave us a written review tell us what we're doing wrong or
2: you know tell us we're doing right thanks everybody have a good night
0: that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life.
2: Yeah, baby, 6'8 Western. I'll be over there, baby, right there.
0: Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasin' the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.